0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of Tavern Voices. I'm your host Kevin King, and with me, as always, is my communist friend Tyler Crawley. Are you? Is your audio good? I saw you make a face as we started there. If uh, no, no, cut out or something. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine.
1: <laughs> All right. just- hold on. Keep keep talking. Keep talking. I I'm- have to. I. <laughs> I have to, it, for some reason we, we were fine. We were doing the thing. We were on the pre-show and then my, everything just completely cut out. So I, uh, I do apologize for that, but.
0: That's okay. I, I'm going to keep talking, even though. Yeah, keep, you
1: can't keep talking, quit. keep talking. I'm going to sign out and then come back in. So you take the show for right now. Okay.
0: Yeah. So anyway, this happens to Tyler all the time. Uh, for some reason his audio keeps cutting out from his microphone and he can't hear me at all. So, but uh, I do want to welcome everyone here to the show, and I'm going to bring Tyler back into the stream now, and hopefully he can hear me.
1: It's it like to be me for three hours a day, you got no one to throw it to. <laughs> you got to just maintain the crowd's attention. It's uh, it's it's actually way easier than most people think that it is. Um, all right, we got we're good, we're good. I mean, it was it was weird. It was weird. Normally we have those problems in the pre-show. And this time, it decided to wait until the uh, the actual show. So, you guys got a little behind the scenes action of Tavern Voices. So,
0: yeah, and I blamed it on you. I said this happens all the time.
1: Yeah, it does. But I'm saying and, it uh, always happens in the beginning. For some reason, it was just it wanted to play a little game with us today and just wait did. And, and move forward. It did. Um, maybe right.
0: maybe your audio got the the coronavirus.
1: <laughs> Is that where you want to start? You want to start with the coronavirus? Uh.
0: Where else would we start? I don't, oh, by the way, in the show intro, I called you a communist, but you couldn't hear it, so I don't feel like that was very fair. Mm-mm.
1: No, I did not hear that. That's okay. Sorry, right. I've been called worse. I've been called worse this week. I've probably been called worse. To be honest <laughs> Bro, with you,
0: I see your Twitter feed. You get called. <laughs> that is, you yeah, get called
1: worse. I get called a lot. I, I love. I love. I had one person one time claim. Um, they said, "Why do liberals always try and take over conservative uh, uh, mediums?" And he was. As he was claiming that I was a liberal on talk radio, and I was like, "Okay." Never, I was like, "I've not called a lot of things in life." I was like, "I've never been called a liberal before," so I can add that to the list. I can add to the uh, the the nickname bucket list. I've now been called a liberal. So,
0: well, I, I you know I feel like you're kind of going that way. You know, I can when you when you retweet something, I I can never tell if that's more, "Hey, check this out. This is an interesting thought," or or read this craziness going on, or I endorse this statement. Um, And it worries me sometimes. I'm like, what, why is this so much Tyler Crowley retweeted? You know, we should shut down businesses for the rest of the (laughs) (laughs) years.
1: All right. First of all, Kevin, what is the first rule of Twitter? Retweets do not equal endorsements, right? Isn't that was like the standard Twitter profile.
0: I thought everyone put that in their profile, which meant nothing.
1: I mean, well, people stopped doing it because it was like understood that because you're retweeting something does not mean I necessarily endorse that. At least that's why I figure no one, no one puts that anymore. But no, I mean, sometimes I do. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what I like about Twitter is I like to keep people guessing when I put, when I retweet something, do I actually agree with it or am I getting ready to like dunk on the person? And usually that that's, that's the benefit of Twitter. But yeah, no, I mean, people, well, here's what's funny though. Let's talk about that for a second, because why has this become? political. And I have a theory. I have a theory. Do you want me to give my theory or do you want to give yours first? No, I don't know
0: that I have a theory. So you go first. Okay, That's okay. What happens.
1: here's my theory. Here's my theory on why this coronavirus debate has become political. Well, first, I think it's because everything becomes political. One of my favorite things to say is anything can be political if you try hard enough, and we have tried very hard and we have made this political. But I think the real reason why this is political is because there's such little information. There's 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 like none. And the information that comes out Ten, 10 hours later, and the study comes out and disproves the one that you just read, and you're bouncing back and forth. And so, because there's this is an issue that there's nothing really on. I mean, there's no concrete anything, everyone falls back into their um safe pace, safe space, a safe place, and that's usually a political one. So all the Democrats become Democrats and all the Republicans become Republicans. And we kind of were figuring out where the sides were and then that's where everyone is. But I think it became political because we've never had an issue that's so hotly debated that is not definable by ideology um, or evidence. So we've all just gone to politics because we got to fight because <laughs> that's what we do. And so we're like, all right, fine. So all the Republicans choose this side and our Democrats choose this side, but there's really nothing ideological about any of the arguments. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I know people are making an economic one, but I mean, at the same time, you could also make an economic argument for opening the government too soon and causing more damage in long-term. So I think we've all just done it because it's easier to do that. So we've all made it political because it's easy.
0: No, I I think you're, I I almost think that it's, it's one step further than that. It's become political because that is 2020. That's what the world we, this is just a product of everything that's been leading up to now. Everything ha- we talk about that on this show for the last two years about how everything is just home team versus uh, the visiting team. And it's which side are you on? The the light switches on and off. There's no nuance, no debate. Uh, and I think this is it. People are already in their camps. Either you're you know, you're anti anti Hillary or anti Trump. And now you're either. Um, and, and, and I do want to say, I think I, are- say, I like
1: how you said that. I like how because that defined twenty twenty or yeah, twenty sixteen was it was it, not pro pro Hillary it was anti Hillary anti Trump I did like that so sorry yeah
0: I, I try <laughs> I try to be specific with the way that I that I look at <laughs> look at that uh, wonderful election that we had to choose from but um you know with with coronavirus I think you do have your extremes you have your um people who legitimately think this is like a made up event um and you also have people who think. That is going to kill everyone and we should keep the economy shut down perhaps forever um, and just keep printing money and do universal basic income and destroy the um, the actual free market economy. And I th- you do actually have those people in real camps, which is a little scary. Uh, but I think everything else in between is just that reaffirming of beliefs. This is the first global pandemic where you have social media to tell you what you want to hear. You have any news source saying what you uh whatever your preconceived notions of the situation were and that's just the reality of of where we've been at for the last five or six years really
1: that's true um and so this you know isn't that surprising but i think it i mean it's so amazing because everything else i get being political but the idea that a virus <laughs> has become political is is pretty amazing. And it's kind of, you know, and it's kind of hard to, to watch like, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, like was conservative media? Cause conservative media was definitely, it, it, what's so weird about this is how it sort of started, like what, how it manifested. Because if you remember in the beginning, Trump was a little dismissive of the virus. And so of course, like conservative media was like, all right, that's what we're doing. And so they were all sort of in that camp, but then Trump I don't know if it was some have said that was that it was Imperial College uh, London study that showed two million people dying that he was like, oh, crap. And very quickly was like, we're going to shut this down. We should shut this down. We should do this. We're going to you know e- everything. But the conservative media didn't really go on board with it. Like, I mean, if you listen to Rush anytime, um any day in the last two months, I mean, he has been completely on board with this being overhyped and this not being anywhere near as bad. And maybe we shouldn't be listening to these experts. And so it's kind of funny there was that divergence that took place. And you know, it's funny if you if you watch these protests, you would think that Trump is hundred percent on board. And it's hard to tell with Trump. I mean, that's sort of what he's known for, right? Where it's kind of hard to pinpoint where he is because you know, one day he's like liberate Virginia, and then the next day he's like, you know, Virginia should do what it wants to do. (laughs) It's like you just don't know where he is on some of these issues. But it is kind of interesting, there's that divide where. Trump does goes back and forth about being worried about this thing. And he, I mean, he's shutting down immigration because of the concern of this thing spreading. And some are saying, well, he has an ulterior motive, but that's still a pretty strong step to make that argument. And so to me, it is sort of interesting that everyone is sort of like, okay, Trump people are on this side and then uh, Biden people are on this side, but Trump isn't really on that side. So that to me is what's kind of fascinating about the political divide.
0: Yeah, and you know what is another divide that I have really uh, seen come to the forefront probably in the last week now that things have stabilized as far as the, uh, the the coronavirus situation and we're starting to see a little bit more data of these curves in different countries and we're not in that panic situation anymore. And I think that this goes directly into the 2016 election. It goes directly into the Trump um into the Trump popularity and how he won the election is the urban rural divide. Because I think what you see right now is not as much, like you said, ideological, it's more of, okay, does New York city set the precedent for rural states all over the country having to shut down when the living situation is different? Um, You know, the, the, the the way that you could contract this, I saw an article today that was talking about um, how they, they traced the coronavirus spread through the subway and how they had they the on and off points of the um, of the subway in New York City, and they could trace how those were hot zones, and so they know. So, I mean, we know that this is, these situations are gonna be treated differently in urban and rural areas, and you have this sort of media elites, you have the news host like you, um, and I'm just kidding, <laughs> like, you know, these big New York City hosts who live in their apartments, and they're in a different situation, and they're the ones saying, you know, you've gotta stay home, we can't do this, we can't do that, and they're really broadcasting their perspective um, through Twitter, social media, and then you have sort of the rural people who are going, "Hey, I'm not affected by this. I need to work. We're blue collar. They're more, um, you know, most people are paycheck to paycheck, even people in cities. Um, but I think that that's the biggest divide that I've seen come about recently is just more of the elites versus the the, the Joe the plumber.
1: Well, I mean, the only thing though is that. It was funny. I was actually talking about this this morning on uh, my radio show with a mutual friend of ours, Stephen Kent. Yeah. And we yeah. were talking about how, you know, this myth of like the journalistic elite, the, the journalist that lives in D.C. and New York. And, you know, I guess is dining out every night and getting fancy steaks and fancy wines. And it's like the newspaper, pe- like, sure, there are some people like a Maggie Harriman at the New York Times or, you know, like a Mike Allen at Axios. And, you know, they they do well. Or your, or your TV hosts. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you know, Joe Garbaro and yeah. yeah. But the average journalist does not make that much money. Um, you know, it's sort of like this misnomer that journalists are like well paid. I had a guy one time calling to my show and he said, well, the only reason I support the free market and some of these ideas that I have is. Cause i'm doing so well and and i was like well maybe i am not do as well as you think i am he's like we're well, probably making six figures and i was like <laughs> like dude thinks i'm making six figures in a uh you know uh, i don't know what you call our market like a mid small market i'm like no way man maybe like 30 years ago maybe but that's not that's not happening today and so there's sort of this misnomer about that you know because i always like to joke with people that you know hannity always calls these you know the journalist elites. It's like, you know, here's a guy who makes $80 million a year, doesn't fly commercial, which by the way, awesome. Good for him, man. I wish I had a private jet. The wall wallbanger. Uh, yeah, the wall wallbanger. <laughs> Savage calls him. But it's like, what is elite? I don't think that term is, is it's, it's used differently by different people. I mean, because you have people like Warren Buffett, right? You know, Warren Buffett, who's the third or fourth richest person on the planet. And I think he still goes to like McDonald's every once in a while, right? Every and then you morning. have- Every then, morning, I think
0: it's yeah. like his sausage biscuit or something. Yeah, and then but you it's have like change some which is hilarious, but
1: you have like some journalist who's making like thirty k a year in a city that you know he probably has two roommates, but he's having like a uh, uh, avocado. Uh, what, what, what's what's the millennial the avocado toast? He's yeah. probably having that, and so it's like who's the? I mean, I think we'd all we'd all agree that Warren Buffett's probably the more elite person in that situation. But he doesn't live an elite lifestyle. I mean, he well, does to some extent. That is an exaggeration. But you have millionaires who go to Walmart and drink Miller Lite. And then you have journalists who, you know, barely are making it and are drinking, you know, craft beer and getting like little fancy sandwiches. And it's like, oh, that guy. So who, how do you define elite? Is it class? Is it how much you make? Is it education? That we have to define what elite is because it means different things to different people. I mean, what
0: is, is.
1: Um, <laughs> Is Bill no, Clinton I, elite, right? I mean, is Arkansas bumpkin guy, but he's a, but he's a Rhodes scholar. He's a I mean, he was president of the United States, but he still had the Bubba argument. So it, it's well know, I, it's for hard to me define.
0: to define it. I mean, from my perspective, I kind of look at it as a um, you know, do you impose your thoughts on other people? You know, I think of that as an as an elite, someone who thinks that they are more elite than someone else not necessarily that they are more elite, generally they're not by either socioeconomic status or education status, um, but you have these people who um, you know, went to an elite school or have an advanced degree. Um, you're right, they're probably making uh, you know, enough to get by to live in Manhattan, but they uh, want to tweet out their thoughts and impose them on everyone else because they know better, they know better than you. And I th- to me, that's typically what I think of as an elite. Um, so it, it's someone who, who thinks they know better
1: than someone else. <laughs> I mean, who, who are these angels that aren't doing that though? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, I feel like everyone does that. I mean, it, it's sort of like both sides arguing that the other side's trying to impose their will on them. Right. Well, I mean, like isn't the, that the uh,
0: argument? It's the irony of what you posted today on Twitter of uh, Kevin Williamson and talking about the, the, the insiders, <laughs> the, the, the DC insiders, uh, versus the, um, you know, the anti-establishment yeah. and the the irony there. So, yes, you're right. I, and, and I think it depends on how you approach it. I mean, obviously, we sit here and we try to tell everybody what we think as if it yeah. matters. Yeah, I don't think – But I don't think if someone thinks differently than us that they're wrong necessarily.
1: Well, I think what you're arguing is sort of people that advocate for a technocracy where, you know, you have this sort of society where these technocrats run everything because – they have the right credentials and they have the right everything. And so they, they know better and they can, they can, uh, uh, design society and their sort of their eyes and it'll work their degree
0: out. Is above their, you know, the, the blue collar experience or the, well, the but experience. you know, you didn't, you yeah, didn't go to college. You don't know what I know. Uh, you're not enlightened. Yeah. Like, but the I, thing is, what you drives me nuts Socrates
1: is the other side where it's like the real America, like real America. Don't doesn't go to college. Like that's, that's not true. Like, and so I feel like it's sort of funny that there's sort of this elitism in this sort of anti elitist culture, you know, where it it it's sort of now manifested itself where there's sort of this elitism about like, if you work with your hands and, you know, you work with manual labor, like that's, that's real America. And that's, it's like, that no, that's that fine. That's part of America. But it's like it's like you ever seen that meme where it's like men, you know, men with overalls built this country, men with suits destroyed it. It's like that's such garbage. Our founders wore suits of their day. Like they were they were elites. Yeah. Like I mean Thomas Jefferson um like imported wine from France. He loved French culture. Like you know how elite that was back in the day? Like think about how elite that is now. Think about then, like how elite that was. Think about just how elite our founders were. I mean they were all established men they were all educated i mean they're the definition of elite and yet you know that's okay and it's like you know why because they helped create this country i mean and it's sort of like they founded it and so they weren't wearing overalls you know they weren't working with their hands i mean these were men that had ideas these were men that were philosophical and today that's looked at as like an elite sort of position Mm -hmm. and so my point is is like i just think that yes you don't want to get too caught up in the academia. Um, you don't want to get too caught up in sort of this um sort of world, like I said, world of academia where it's like all you're talking about is theories and we're all philosophers sitting around and like discussing things that don't really matter. But at the same time, that it d- is important. There are I mean, facts. you need bankers, you need right? farmers, you need all these people. They're, they're all science. part, of, they're all part of society. And we've got we've all gone to our corners and think that like the world wouldn't exist without us. Like the, the whole world would fall apart if my industry wasn't there. And it's like, kind of need all of them to be honest. It's it real. I, I know I'm going on a tangent here, but I was watching the uh, bailout movie two weeks ago on uh, this great, great documentary on HBO vice, put it together. And I mean, they interviewed like George W Bush and Barack Obama and Hank Paulson and Ben Bernanke and Nancy Pelosi. And, I mean, pretty much, um, uh, what's his name? Timothy Geithner. I mean, everyone that was involved in the bailout back then. And what was amazing to me is they interviewed like Paulson and Bernanke and all of them. And they said, well, the reason we did the bailouts and which by the way, they got paid back for is we were trying to save main street. It's like if the banking system collapsed, all of these banks would have gone like AIG. I mean, it would have taken down so much. All of these banks would have collapsed. The banking system, as we know, it would have collapsed all these businesses would have gone out of business. I mean, ATMs would have stopped the spread. I mean, it would have been the great depression. And so they were like, their whole argument was them trying to save main street. But the only way to do that was they had to save wall street because main street is reliant on wall street to exist. And yet it got sort of perceived as this elite bailout. And they were like, ah, you know, they were just, they were sort- You could tell they were kind of like distraught by that because it was like, that's who we were trying to save. But it got, per- it got sort of, twisted into this idea that they only saved their elite friends and left all the regular people out, out out, cold when the whole purpose of it was to save Main Street, because Main Street doesn't exist without Wall Street. At least if Wall Street goes under, Main Street's going with it. Maybe we can reorganize the system after that, but we need Wall Street. <laughs> they're very reliant. These businesses need to be able to borrow money. They need the Wall Street derivatives and securities and everything else in order to function. If they don't have it, they're going to be in some trouble. And so we need all of these companies. We need everyone. There's no real America. If you're in America, you're, you're in real America. Rant over. Rant over.
0: <laughs> very, very So speaking of real America, something that has been going on uh, right here in my backyard uh, over the last two weeks. And I now have seen it on CNBC in commercials. Uh, we have the reopen NC protest. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily spearheaded, but uh, one of our, our former professors is uh, is very active in that. Dr. Mike Adams has been yeah. um, at the forefront.
1: Did you ever uh, have him for a class? I never yeah, had him for a
0: class. I did. Yeah, I, I never did. Criminology uh, 101 or 102 something uh, intro to criminology. That's actually how I met him. I didn't. It was my freshman year. Um, I had a friend of mine who said, you got to take Mike Adams if you can get <laughs> in the class. I and, never had.
1: I never had the Adam pleasure. Did.
0: Phenomenal class, actually. Um, I don't say actually, like like you wouldn't believe it, but I mean, really, really awesome class. Um, obviously, he's a very engaging speaker. Um, so it was a. Uh, it was well. It was it's a funny because no one ever talked class. about
1: his his class. Like he's known for being like this provocateur, but you don't. No one ever says because I actually had friends of mine that have taken it who are not crazy conservative and they liked it and so yeah. every, it always sort of gets lost in this conversation about Dr. Adams you know when he sued UNCW and you know is he, is he being a, I mean everyone always forgets that he's he's actually a pretty good teacher yeah <laughs> like, no he's phenomenal I mean, good, he's, he's good
0: i feel like um i feel like he's talked about that before that before he became super outspoken conservative he won all of these teaching oh, yeah. awards of like student favorites and if you go and rate my professor he's got a super high score um I remember uh, this is we're just on tangents at this point. Um, but one of the things I really took away from his class that I, I enjoyed is that he had a start time for class. If it if started at, say, 10 o'clock or 10 30, whatever, he shut the door at 10 30. If you weren't there when the door shut, you didn't come in. Like, period. You were on time. You were there to learn or yeah. you, you went back home. Uh, you know, discipline things. I I mean, he didn't like use a laptop either, right? I'm sorry? He, he wouldn't let you use a
1: laptop either, right?
0: Yo, you can have a phone out or a laptop or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and laptops still weren't super prevalent when you and I were there. I mean, they were there, but I would say now.
1: <laughs> I had one in class. so I. Had no, one. I mean, I, I had it, I but I remember I didn't use
0: it to take notes all that often. Um,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. No, all I did was use it to surf the web, but <laughs> yeah. um, I had one. <laughs> I remember one time listening to Rush Limbaugh in the class. Like I pulled the stream up and like had the... the uh, headphone going through my my shirt sleeves, so i could listen to rush limbaugh you probably learned more that day <laughs> that's true that is very true um but anyway forgot, protests. We're, 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 protest yeah there we go yeah so i know i know you're very
0: anti-protest
1: I'm not anti-protest uh, i'm just i'm just kidding <laughs> people think yeah. i'm anti-protest because um i don't think protests are as impactful as everyone makes it out to be uh the moral monday protests were i think a good example of that I mean, the media hyped those protests and they didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, everyone, oh, you know, and, and what's so funny is bar, you know, the Dr. Reverend, Mr. Barber has like failed his way upward. Now he's like got this national position and big shock. He hasn't done anything. Remember, they're like, oh man, he's going to take this national. I'm like, what is failed protest? Like, okay, cool. He did it. He done nothing. He did nothing in North Carolina. And so I think they're over, you know, especially when they're overtly political, the tea party, what was so amazing about the tea party, was it was people who were yelling at Democrats and Republicans. And the Moral Money protest, it was all Republicans. So you knew it was all Democrat liberals who weren't going to vote for Republican anyway. So Republicans said, I don't care what you are having to say. And that's what I kind of see in these protests is everyone's wearing a Trump hat and a Dan Forrest shirt. And, you know, that's great, free speech. But none of the politicians, you know, Cooper's not like, oh, no, I'm going to lose their vote. He knows he never had their vote. And so it, they're not as impactful but I do think that they matter. I mean, a thousand people gathering. I just wish they'd be smarter about it. Uh, I wish they would have been a little bit more safer with that social distancing because I don't know. I think it was a, (laughs) they're sort of like yelling that we need to be left to our own devices because we can social distance on our own. But then during the protest, they weren't doing it. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of a bad example for them to be doing that. Like, well, if you're going to say, Hey, we can do this. We don't need you. And then you're, you're doing this thing. They're telling you not to do it kind of hurts your argument a little bit.
0: Well, and uh, if, if it was a anti or a pro social distancing protest, perhaps, I don't think that was their, their main well, goal. What they're I saying is that point, We can do
1: to it. Your point, <laughs> but here, let me ask you a question. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. Ask me. Um, the, so I think that what they have also done is they've sort of made themselves, I mean, they're going to, they're going to prove themselves right or wrong because they all got together they were not social distancing and so if five six days from now we see a spike in cases and um it looks like oh my god like what happened and we trace it back to that rally that's gonna hurt their cause but if we don't see a spike and everything remains as is then they'll prove that we can go back so they that rally could end up either proving them right or proving them wrong but it's going to do one or the other i think so we're going to find out in five or six days if if their arguments were right i mean it's going to, we're going to have, i mean it's not going to be definitive i mean it's not going to be completely scientific but i think it'll give you a good idea of of where they're right or wrong on the issue was there a
0: question in there
1: yeah i mean what do you think i mean do you think you think you think do, that's, do I agree that's, with that's you? going to hurt or help them
0: um, no i don't i don't think it's going to hurt or help them either way um, and i think this goes a little bit to more and more of the the information we're starting to see come out now with the serological tests and stuff that you know, we've talked about on this show a a multitude of times about what is the actual denominator. And it seems to be much larger than initially thought some extremes, 80%, um, uh, some, you know, 40%, 30%, you know, on these different studies now that they're doing just mass serological testing. Um, so yeah, so I mean, okay, let's say there were a thousand people there yesterday and you know, what half caught it and, 90% 90% were asymptomatic. There's not going to be a spike in cases from that protest. What, 15 people are going to are going to
1: get tested for it? Um, no, no, but I, I mean, don't think if that's someone, going to change I mean, the narrative. If somebody gets it and then they give it to someone else, and then I'm saying is if there is a spike. So then- you're saying
0: that they have a higher chance of spreading it than all of the people at Home Depot today. Is that what you're getting at?
1: Well, what I'm saying is, is they weren't practicing social distancing. And so, I know yeah, I mean, you,
0: I'm giving you a hard to, Yeah, I mean,
1: if you what I'm saying, though, if is, that, is it, if there isn't a spike, it helps their argument. It helps yeah. their argument if there's not a spike, because they can say exactly what you're saying is, is that, you know, we didn't do what anyone else is already doing anyway. But I'm saying is, if there is a spike and they're able to trace it back to the rally, that's going to then really kind of blow up in their face. But if there's not a spike, which there may not be. Then, yeah, they have a great argument. Look, we look what we just did five days ago. We saw no spike. So why can't we do yeah. this every day? I mean, yeah. that, no, I, mean I
0: think that's a, I think that's a great point because that's kind of what it goes back to is that I believe I said it three or four weeks ago. I said, if this is super as, as super contagious as they say it is, I mean, when you're talking about double masking to in, inhale versus exhaling it, um, you know, where everybody's wearing a mask, I don't mean two masks by double, but like both yeah. parties wearing it for, for, for the, each of those reasons, then, um, and, it, and it's just, it's highly transmissible. They were talking about the R naught of three. I don't know if that's going to get adjusted. I don't know how you account for social distancing to adjust that number. Um, Cause I'm sure it's not three when people aren't standing next to each other and riding the subway. Um, but if this thing really has spread like it has, and a lot of these tests are showing that four or 5% of the population has already had this. Um, and it's still multiplying in that exponential factor, then, um, then, yeah, I mean, this could, this could definitely say, hey, w- we can go to the grocery store, we can go to Lowe's, we can go get our get our haircut. Right? I mean, that's, that's the point.
1: Well, I mean, I think so. I mean, the, uh, the problem that we're running into, once again, is that, you know, it's, it's like every time a study comes out, and everyone's like, look at this, look at this is you just have to wait, you know, because was one that came out in Sweden. That they did the the same what is it, Surro survey or whatever. And they had like a multiple of like a thousand. So they were saying that you know, for every one person they've tested, there's a thousand more people that have it, and that by May first, six hundred thousand Swedes were gonna have it. And they've already pretty much pulled back on the study saying, like, whoops, we accidentally did messed up. And there's this other one that came out of California from Santa Clara. Where they've run up against some people who have said that their math isn't right and they've over-exaggerated how many people may have actually contracted this thing. And I think this, I mean, this is the problem, is that is, you know, science. This is this is the scientific method. I mean, you, you test something, you go through it, you do the calculations, and then people review it, and then they usually, you know, try and crap on it, and then you revise and you try and figure it out again. And so the problem is, is we're going through that in real time. Because everyone wants information on this thing, so they're pumping out info left and right. Like I was reading today, there was a study that was done, it was in the Financial Times, where they were saying their um, hypothesis was that twice as many people in the UK have died from this than is being reported. B. And we're even seeing that in North Carolina. There was a report out by the uh, in fact, all these journalists. It was like a, it was a collaborative effort. By like W by Nick Oxner, at WBTV, Emily Featherston down at WECT, um, uh, someone at the News and Observer, someone at one of the the public journalist um, institutes. I mean, it was just like a ton of journalists were involved in this thing, and they were trying to get death certificate information. They've been having a hard time doing it, but they said that it they just don't know. I mean, there's like some death certificates that are saying that it was coronavirus and maybe it wasn't and others that it was and aren't saying it. And so it's just, yeah, there's, there's people not don't
0: know. treatment. Um, I, I yeah. a friend who's a physician and she was posting that there's people dying of heart attacks and blood clots and things that are normally treatable, uh, because they're not going to the hospital when they have these symptoms. So now you've got other deaths being caused by
1: coronavirus that are not,
0: Infected by the coronavirus. Well,
1: and that was that was why the death rate was going to be as high as it was because the argument was is that you're going to have that as well as people, you know, um, unable to go to the hospital because it would be so overrun. Now we luckily haven't faced that. New York probably is though, and some other places, Italy and some other place. That's why they said the death toll is probably higher in some of these places because the people couldn't get to the hospital; and they died at home and they never got tested. They you know took the body and you know we don't we have no idea. And so, I mean, that was always, I like guess, sort of calculated in. But it's weird that instead of people not being able to access a dollar doctor, they're choosing not to access a dollar doctor because they're worried about catching coronavirus it's, it's or whatever the fear. it is. And
0: you know, that's that's probably my biggest issue with this whole situation is that it has created a a panic in people, um, a fear. And and there there are rational fears, there are acceptable fears, there are. Um, you know hey don't drive too fast and 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 different things that you can rationalize and say hey don't be afraid of riding in a car but do it safely don't drive crazy don't drink don't want to you know there you can do a lot of different events and sports and and things that have danger to them but you rationalize the fear with this it's very irrational um because of the things that you know you know that have been put out there as far as um, you know, if you touch the same cereal box in the grocery store, someone else and you catch it and it has a super high death rate, it's you know way deadlier than the flu and and all of these things, which are which are mostly true from what we can tell. I mean, I'm not saying there's been necessarily a hyperbole, um, but it's been based off of information we don't know. I mean, like you said, we may have had double the deaths. Um, we may have had double to 500 times the, the amount of cases. You know, we don't ultimately know what the. Uh, The rate is, but it's, it's, there's so many people living in fear. Um, It's making them fear each other. I mean, I've, I've seen the people in the grocery store, you know, then they're looking at you funny and um, you know, it's it's tearing down humanity. And I saw a post today talking about, um, you know, sort of the, the moral implications of this beyond the economic and beyond the, the, the virus itself. You know, what is this going to do to, to trust when people, you know, are people going to get back on an airplane anytime soon, not knowing if the person next to them might kill them, because that's the narrative being pushed right now, is that you have silent carriers that are spreading a horribly deadly disease.
1: But what's weird is they don't even know. Um, they don't even know if they have it. I mean, that, that that's what's so scary about this. It's not like, you know we've seen Remember, there was that one case where that guy wanted to go see his wife in the maternity ward He just had a kid and he lied about not having symptoms and he did and of course he had it and some people got it and i'm like that you know that's i get it you want to see your kid and i totally understand that um mindset but it's like dude i mean you put your put your child at risk <laughs> it's like you put your wife at risk that is insane to me but the, the real scary thing is that people have it and have no symptoms and so it's it's I mean it it's yeah, I mean it's it's almost a trust thing, but it's it's just I don't even know what that is. Um, but I also think that we actually could end up being better off because of this. Because now all of a sudden everyone's gonna be washing their hands, they're gonna be using hand sanitizer, they're gonna be keeping their distance. I mean, these are all good things. I, so. I mean, whenever I watch when, when I watch a movie now, like the whole time I'm watching it, all I'm thinking is like, those people are way too close. <laughs> it's like, that's like I just I'm like I'm in that mindset. Like, I'm in that mindset. And I mean, let's face it. There, there are certain people in society who are very touchy-feely, you know, close talkers from Seinfeld. But the majority of people, they do like having a little bit of a, a, a space around them. And this, I think, is going to keep people in that mindset. Now, how long does it last? I don't know. You know, will we revert right back to where we were? Um, should we get rid of handshakes? What do you think? Should we get... I, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that. I kind of like handshakes, but if they went away, I don't know if I would cry.
0: Yeah. What do you think? I, 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 I will probably keep... Shaking hands, but if one day I have kids and and that becomes a, a new standard that they don't adopt, I won't. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just I'm already established in. You know, I think it says a lot societally, and until that changes, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like, oh no, I'm not gonna shake your shake your hand now. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. That, that, That's the living in fear part. I'm not getting because here's the issue. It's like you pointed out. Hopefully, some things will change for the good because I think we've gone so far to an extreme that maybe we could take some of these lessons and move back to the middle um, because when we talk about things like the flu for instance and you have 30 40 50,000 people a year die every single year because we don't do any of these things how many lives mm-hmm. could we have saved if we were wiping down shopping carts and not you know sneezing and shaking hands and doing stupid stuff like that you know yeah. maybe we've and, and we already knew this so maybe this was a shock to change some behavior i don't think
1: most people knew this I mean, did you ever see that press conference where, uh, you know, they they were, they were joking about, there's one thing is Trump, one of Trump's ticks that he does is he'll say like, no one knew that. And he, it's always him like admitting he didn't know that. (laughs) But he, if he doesn't know it, he assumes everyone else does it. And he was talking about how 30,000 people die every year of the flu. Like no one knew that. And I think he's right. Like, I mean, if someone would ask me how many people die from the flu before all of this, I would've been like, I don't know a thousand like I never would have thought it was 30 40,000 people a year dying from the flu and once again just like the flu and just like coronavirus is that they're not they they are dying from the flu but it's also because they have other problems it's from pneumonia yeah and well but I mean also people are weak you know they're older and so it's sort of like well if that didn't kill them something else would have killed them, you know, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever it is. And so it's not until this, till everyone I think kind of woke up to that. And so I'm wondering if there's going to be a, uh, a sort of a new normal, which I don't think is the worst thing ever. I think us, you know, like I said, washing your hands and, and uh, I mean, I like shaking hands. I mean, I, I, I think it's like, a, it, I think touching someone else and sort of like, Hey, how are you? And, you know, putting your hand, you know, slapping their back or whatever I think there's a value in that. I mean, you know, they've, they've proven that, right. I mean, they've, they've done studies where they found that, you know, human touch is insanely valuable. Um, and I think it was, it was horrible. I always hate to like quote this study, but I think they, I think the Nazis did that where they would like raise children. One, you know, that they were giving like basic sustenance to and nothing else. And other ones that they were like coddling. And I think the ones that got no coddling or anything else had like very troubling, um, developmental issues yeah. if they survived and so we know there's a value in that but i do think maybe being a little more selective in making sure that my hands are clean when i go to shake someone's hand is probably a good thing if we all turn into like um um who's the guy that hosts that show howie uh, mandel howie mandel, howie yeah. mandel and Donald trump, trump, trump are germaphobes and so yeah. we all start you know it's funny someone actually said it's amazing trump hasn't like bragged that I always knew germs were going to be the end of us. <laughs> like Cause when he became a politician, he couldn't be a germaphobe anymore. So he had to, he somehow was able to get himself out of that, but he used to be very against shaking hands. And so it's kind of funny that uh, if we, we acted more like Trump. We would be in a better place. Well, Never thought funny. I'd say that a couple of weeks ago <laughs> when
0: Dr. Burks was talking about how she had her uh, granddaughter, I believe
1: yeah. <laughs> <Or whatever.
0: laughs> he said, you didn't go see him. Did you? That was, that was, that was a great moment in the uh in the press conferences which i don't watch anymore and he was like oh i
1: gotta go <laughs> <laughs> kinda, you don't kinda, you don't watch them anymore yeah i don't I don't I don't I don't, know, I don't I don't I don't watch them either well i've heard they've gotten better though i didn't like watching it because the whole time it was like here comes a stupid question and then here comes a stupid response and then after like it was like a half an hour to 45 minutes then they would get to like the real questions and they'd be like, "Oh, let's talk about those charts, and let's talk about like the science." But yeah, the were, first like forty five minutes, it was all gotcha questions.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize they were going to be like two and a half hours apiece piece. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at that point, and, and I feel like they they kept moving the time around.
1: Yeah, well, it was, they like in the evening. What well, was, like, oh, was like Trump oh, was like changing the the locations? Remember that? Like he was in the Rose Garden, and then he was back in the uh, what's the press room called? I forgot the press uh, room. Brady press. Yeah, Brady. Room. Yeah. And then he was like, I mean, it was like they kept, they kind of were moving around and yeah, they did seem to move him back. And it's almost like when I, when I do a radio show, I have to book guests and it's almost like Trump and his people are like booking guests for the press conference. And they're like, maybe that's what's taking long is they haven't got the confirmation that people are still coming there. And they're like, we got to make sure the people are there before we go out. And so they keep pushing the time back. So yeah, I don't know why they keep moving the times around, but uh, did you see Brett Baer the other day? That was in the audience. Was it last night? Maybe. Yeah. It was last night. And then he like stood up and then started hosting the show. (laughs) So That's so awesome. Cause I'm, you know, I am someone who can't do, um, like if I'm out of my element, it totally messes me up. So if I'm not in this studio doing this podcast or if I'm not in my radio studio, like I always give mad props to hosts that can just go into like some studio. Cause like sometimes these syndicated hosts will go to, um, they'll be traveling and so they'll have to do their show. And so they'll go to an affiliate station and do the show from that Hannity does that and others. And I'm always like, that's, I think that's amazing that they can do that because I have to be like perfectly comfortable to be able to do it. And So maybe I need to learn how to have that skill, but you know, for Brett bear to be able just to stand up, and just start hosting a show with all those people. I mean, like, I don't know. I just and that, just just so amazed. <laughs> that was, I mean,
0: even as the camera is trying to refocus, yeah. cutting his audio on and just switching, and um, he just went into it beast mode. I mean, he wasn't reading off paper, and he, he just started spouting off sp- uh, facts and, and yeah, and rolling with it. it was. It was impressive. That I would was, have
1: that. loved to have known people in his ear. They're like, all right, turn around, turn around, do the show, do the show.
0: <laughs> and and I like that uh, that Trump gave him the shout out for being there. Well. Yeah,
1: no, that's that's well, because <laughs> Brett Bear has been joking about how um, Trump keeps stealing his show because oh. it's always like at six o'clock. <laughs> so I think that was they're like, well, you we might as well put oh, you should, by the way, did you see um, someone had tweeted about Brett Baer back when he was working um, for Fox uh, asking questions? And that and they someone posted a clip of him and uh, and Tony, Tony Snow as press secretary. Oh,
0: I did see that. Yeah, I had yeah. forgotten about Tony Snow, and man, he was he was a real. He was a real gym.
1: Well, I, 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 when I first got to talk radio, I was like so into it and I was listening to everything I could find. And I remember driving somewhere. I think Tony had a show on the weekend and he was talking on the show about how he's been offered to be the press secretary. And he was like talking about it on the air about should he do it? You know, it's going to be less money. And he's like, but this is like what people always talk about, right? Like actually taking your skill with talking and actually making a difference and going to work for an administration and like helping to, you know, get stuff done versus just talking. And I remember him talking about it and then he became the press secretary. And then of course he got diagnosed with cancer and uh, he had to leave. And um, when did he, he passed away, what? 2007, eight. It's been a while. Um, know, maybe. No, I think it was before. It was, I, think it was, was it I think it was 2007. I think it was 2007. And I mean, that was just, you know, that was tragic, but, I just remember him talking about, you know, saying like, this is what we always talk about, me going to do something. And then he went and went and did it. And he was pretty good. I loved his, uh, remember his spat with uh, Helen Thomas.
0: <laughs> Name, do you, do you think any president has had a better uh, press press secretary lineup than George W. Bush? I mean, you're talking about Tony Snow, Ari Fleischer, and uh, and uh, Dana Perino.
1: Perino. Don't forget Scott McClellan, right? Wasn't it, was McClellan? Was it Scott McClellan? Was he the other one? wasn't, was David Froom one too?
0: I don't remember. Let's
1: In the early up. age? Yeah, I looked that up because, because one of them flipped. Was it McClellan or Froome? One of them like, and they both become kind of um, closer to the more uh, moderate liberal side of the Republican Party, but I can't remember which one it was. I think it was McClellan was the earlier one. I don't know where David Froome came from. Maybe they both, I don't know. I have no idea. But no, he had, good, he, had he had a pretty good, he had a pretty good lineup. Um, I love that <laughs> Trump's last press secretary, what was it? Stephanie Grisham never held a press conference or <laughs> like, that's like awesome. She's going to get down in history as the first press secretary to never address the press. <laughs> like that's a pretty good job if you can get it. I mean, it'd be like being a radio host and I never actually went on the air, but I had the job for like six months and I never hosted a radio show. Did you find out which one they were?
0: Uh, yeah we've got Ari Fleischer okay first two years uh Scott McClellan ah okay another two almost three years Tony snow okay um, from oh six to seven a year and a half uh Dana Prino finished it out
1: yeah, that's pretty good I mean it's hard to rank them I mean they're all doing kind of the same thing <laughs> it's just they're all spinning whatever they got to do I like that while we're talking about this you got the George W picture in the background so. yeah you know that was
0: on the wall and uh I figured I'd throw something in the background there I might keep rotating that out but
1: I like that I like
0: we, it, uh, I like it. Know, since he, he since he predicted all of this uh back in the day I thought it'd you know bring that bring that in
1: I will say I do love the uh the love that everyone has for W again you know like everyone that thought he was so it's dumb so- and- and they're now like, oh, man, I miss George W. Bush. Now, here's my question. Here's a question for you before we close things out. It's going to be an actual question. It's like, going to be an actual question. Okay. Do you think. Do you think that. The same thing is going to happen to Trump. Because I don't think it is, but, you know, the same way that they were like, oh, man, I wish W was back here. Like, I would have loved W. So let's say Trump, whatever. And then let's say the next president is, I don't know, Um uh, one of my buddies said Josh Hawley will, Would probably be He sort of got that populist uh, mantra Will people be like Oh man, like I wish Trump was back here Or do you think people will really like? Because I don't remember anyone ever saying that about Reagan You know, because they, they didn't like Reagan I mean, they liked him, But I didn't hear when Bush wasn't president No one said, oh man, I wish Reagan was back here <laughs> And so Do you think people will be like, oh, I wish Trump was here And it's just, is Trump Uniquely hated or will he? Will he be like every other Republican president?
0: No, I think that I think the hate for him from certain people will fade, um, because I think there's so many people caught up in the moment, and they'll look back on. Because we've talked about that before. A lot of the policies are actually not extreme. You know, there's a lot of people that Matt, on he's the moderate the aisle that he's done things for, and and really shouldn't be totally against him wholeheartedly. But there are a lot of people that no matter what he did, what what no matter what he did tomorrow he would be hated by them or just the, the Trump derangement syndrome, if you will. Um, so I think he'll be less hated. I think he'll definitely be memorable. Um, <laughs> you know, it, you can't tell me they won't be showing clips of his uh, briefings in, in J schools all over the country for the next 50 years. Um, I, 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 I would think that would happen, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Clinton never got any retrospective, adoration in fact i think more and more i think his his popularity has faded a little bit um because i think there were a lot of people that defended him in the scandal and everything at the time but they kind of in the light of me too and different things of you know epstein and and they're kind of "Eh, maybe maybe bill was a little creepy
1: um yeah well no the me too movement wiped out clinton wiped out clinton's uh sort of aura and then i think also his uh his wife Who's a horrible politician? Also destroyed the legacy. <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, I mean, she's not a good person, but she's but she's not a good politician. Yeah. And and then while that's been happening, so like, you know, if you go back, people forget like how talented Bill Clinton was as an orator and sort of just sort of off the cuff kind of a oh, politician. Yeah. Very charismatic. But you know, he's like, you know, he's he's you know, he's had some health issues and he's he's like he's like Biden. He's gone like not that Biden was ever like Clinton, not even close, but he's kind of faded. And so the only thing that's left is like an old wrinkled up Bill Clinton and Hillary, who's always been bad. And it's like people are like, uh, and so they they're sort of like that's what's in you know, they won't go away. Like Bill kind of has, he's realized he's past his prime, stay out of the limelight, be remembered for his greatness, but his wife keeps ruining everything for him. So I think maybe that's a little bit why, but I just wonder if Trump's gonna get this. Um <laughs> You know, I think that I think
0: what you're talking about really helped Bush is that him and Laura just kind of went and did their own thing. They didn't try to get out there and stay in the limelight and and be focal points and say things. And I think that Obama has been pretty good about that. About kind of just stepping away and and letting a couple of years go by. Said said who? Obama? Obama,
1: yeah. Mm, I think he's gotten a little too more involved. Now I I think Bush 100%. Bush is smart. I think Bush also didn't want to get involved. See, I think Obama still wants to be involved. Well, he's so he keeps like sticking he his head in because he got he's got nothing else. Yeah, like you know, Bush has got like his painting and his you know well, ranch. He's at a different stage in life too.
0: Obama's still young. I mean, he kind of peaked early. It's like when yeah, you're in your forties and then it's like, okay, what am I what am I going to do now? Netflix w- what, in his sixties, you know, when when he left. So it's like he's retired. He's got grandkids. He's got a ranch. He, he's done it. Yeah, Obama, you know. He's, he's like, what am I going to do now for the next 50 years? Well,
1: I think the other problem, and this is the same, and this is the problem Trump's going to have. And man, when Trump leaves, it's going to be insane. Because, you know, other presidents, this is what's happened. This is, this is one of the problems that we have with politics in general, especially the presidency, is that it used to be about getting elected and then governing. And now it's just about running for office. And so the reason Obama was not a good president, I mean, he was good at running for president. And so he, was you know, not- he can't, he can't kind of sit back and go, ah, look what I've done. He didn't really do anything. I mean, like Obamacare. Yeah, sure. But that was um,
0: true. He didn't build coalitions, but yeah. you know, like Bush with no Child left behind. And, and- yeah. I mean,
1: you can disagree, disagree about Bush's legacy, but he, he did a lot. And so it's like, I made a difference. And I think Trump's going to have the same issue because as you mentioned, A lot of the stuff Trump's done, you know, there's a great piece by uh, Ramesh Panuru uh, a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about, you know, Trump and sort of what the power that Trump had. He said, don't be worried about Trump, you know, using his power because Trump's actually get Trump actually gets pushed around a lot by the GOP establishment. And if you look at the things that he's done while in office, they've all been things that the Republicans wanted. Like instead of, you know, forcing a wall being built or dealing with immigration or trade when he first got in office. They did tax cuts, they did deregulation, they got conservative judges, and it's because he didn't really, you know, he was good at running for president, but he didn't really know what to do when he when he, when he won, and they were like, here's what you do, and they pushed all this stuff that he wanted, and so those aren't really Trump's things, and so when he leaves office, he's going to be in the same problem that, that Obama's in, where he's going to be like, I want to be involved in the running for president thing again, I want to be that, and I think that's the problem that Obama has is that like Bush and Reagan and all these other guys, Clinton, I mean Clinton was pretty quiet because they, they did something because mm-hmm. they like they had an agenda they got it done and they left.
0: He had to work with Newt. Yeah, uh, Reagan had to work with Tip. I mean, you know
1: that's like one of the greatest pivots in political history. You know, the we're going to push uh, universal health care and then they lose the. Yeah. They lose the uh, ni- 94 election and then all of a sudden it's the Arab big government's over welfare reform and tax cuts. Well, I guess not tax cuts. Actually, they, they actually did increase taxes, but it was you know deregulation and sort true, of true um, donations. Yeah. Tax. I mean, yeah. it worked. I mean, it worked for him. There's no doubt about that. So I, I think that is going to be one of the problems that Trump's going to have is that same problem that obama has where it's like they really liked running for president i'm not sure if they like being president but they like running for it and there's going to be a couple election cycles now trump's going to be really old though when he gets out <laughs> you know i mean he's either because what is he now what is he 73 something like that
0: he's yeah he's up there
1: so he could be like 75 he's either going to be like 74 75 or close to 80 when he gets out of office i'm like he might just be like, "I'm done. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to Mar-a-Lago. I'm going to play golf. That's all I'm doing." He might the just more,
0: the more you see Biden, and I know, I know, polling says one thing, and we know how well polls go, but um, but I guess kind of a final thought: How are things looking right now for Biden versus Trump reelection, or do you think it's just still too early?
1: It'll I mean, be- I think the data shows Biden's got a lead, but um, I don't know. I mean the There was one poll that that showed, I think it was the Wall Street Journal poll, that showed Biden doing well. Like if this, you know, who'd you want in charge of the crisis? They said Biden. Who would you want in charge of emergency? They said Biden. But when they asked who they wanted in charge of the economy, Trump had a double digit lead. He had like a 12 point lead over Biden. And so it depends on where people are. If this economy is still just having problems, they might go, damn, we need someone that's going to fix this and we got to keep Trump in office. But if they're like, oh my, this is a crisis. This is an emergency. We got to keep, we want someone in office who's going to be able to handle this better. They might go with Biden. So it really just depends on the mindset. But, um, I think what's crazy about this. I think they're both benefiting from it at the same time. Like I think it makes Trump look presidential, uh, to some extent, but it also helps Biden because he's no one's talking to him. And so his gaffes, can't happen because nobody's
0: paying attention to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think they're both benefiting from this Trump, because you're seeing more of them, and Biden, because you're seeing less. Mm-hmm. And so that's also going to play. So if this thing kind of tapers off, it's going to be, it's going to completely change things. But I would say, as of right now, I think Biden has a slight edge. Well, it was interesting
0: today. I noticed on CNBC, there was a poll they were talking about as far as they had had asked, uh, what do people think about the nature of the shutdowns? Was it too aggressive um, versus, uh, you know, kind of proportional? Yes, we we should definitely do that. And as far as who thought it was aggressive, 55% of Republicans said that the response to the coronavirus had been aggressive. Uh, 3% of Democrats. So I think that that's... Very, uh, very telling as well, because and there's a
1: political divide. There's no doubt. I mean, motivating it's motivating certain people. Well, and there's another here's a scary thing. Um, And I didn't get a chance to look at the numbers in detail. But I saw over the last two days, a couple people have written about seniors who are obviously very concerned, the most at risk. And they're worried that Trump may be opening things up too quickly. And let's face it. I mean, that's a huge demo for Trump. I mean, he won them by a huge margin in 2020. And so if there's any erosion there, it could be problematic. And so it could be temporary, but that's something that I think Trump has to sort of also calculate is because it's kind of funny because you see all these like Republicans that are like, so what if all people die? I'm like, guys, that's a big voting block for the Republicans. Like if you know, 80 plus is like, is like 80% Republicans, <laughs> So if, forget- uh, you forget that when a,
0: an old Republican dies, they then become a, a voting Democrat. So yeah, it's swing <laughs> double, double. either
1: through illegal means or they're reincarnated as a, as a woke, uh, uh, uh child born into a vegan commune family. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something that Trump needs to also be wary of is there are potential, but then there was, I saw a poll that showed Trump with like 30% of the Hispanic vote. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, that those are like those are like Bush 04 numbers. Remember, Bush, I think 04 got like 30 some percent of the Hispanic vote. So that would be pretty crazy. But then again, there was also that poll that showed Trump getting like 30% of the black vote, and everyone's like, it's working. And then like every other poll from the since then's been like eight percent, like where it's supposed to where it always is for Republicans. So you know it's it, it's hard to know. But we could see some demographic shifts, we could see some seniors upset at Trump and maybe some Hispanics that are gonna vote and Maybe they'll cancel each other out. Maybe not, but I think it is a t- little early to tell, especially with the coronavirus,
0: especially with the coronavirus. Well, Tyler, I think this is nice, nicely come to an end. Any yes. final thoughts?
1: Uh, no, no, I can't believe it. that was, that was a quick hour. That was a, that was a quick hour. I will say that's a, that little-
0: was a very quick hour. And um, you know, numbers keep changing. We'll be back uh, next week and, and, catch up on everything and we'll, um, you know, by next week, we're going to start to see some, some opening plans. I mean, a week, uh, April 29th will be our episode next week. And you're talking about, um, you know, Georgia looking at opening up, kind of leading the the fray, but a lot of other governors rolling out plans. So we might have Cooper's plan by then. Governor. Well,
1: Florida, uh, <laughs> funny is is the, the 29th plan. is when our, um, our, uh, the statewide order expires. So, We'll we'll have a decision on tr- what, what he's going to do. But what's crazy is we should have some data. So we're gonna. So if these places that are opening, if we start seeing spikes, I know there's about a five five day delay on this. So we may not have it exactly. But it, if we don't see spikes, then states keep going. If we do see spikes, then that's going to lead to other states being hesitant. So we will have some unscientific but data nonetheless next week. That's Looking right. Forward to
0: it. Full of uneducated and uh and uh exciting commentary.
1: non-peer-reviewed
0: <laughs> we peer review live
1: that's true that is true
0: <laughs> all right i'll see you next week
1: all right see you